absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. Adrian Stiff is back again. Adrian, <laughs> Adrian is the founder of Elite Squash, which runs out of uh, the southwest of England in Bristol is his hometown. Adrian, I believe we met just over 20 years ago. I think that, was that around the time? I know, yeah. Far out. <laughs> was that around the time that you would have started Elite Squash? I think at the time you, you'd maybe stopped playing PSA, but you were still playing to an extremely high level. Things were different back then in the UK where you had the BSPAs and, and the, you know, all the various leagues and unbelievable you know, pedigree of squash players, both British and kind of European that were based in the UK at the time. Is that, mm. is that about right? Yeah, not far off. I mean, there's sort of two, um, two beginnings, I suppose, to elite squash. The first was actually in my early 20s when I started running summer camps in Exeter, where I'm originally from, right down in the southwest of England. So I was playing full-time professional at that point. But uh, each summer I'd go back home to, uh, to Exeter and Devon and, and run these summer camps. And I, I just started calling them elite squash summer camps and um that was the origin of uh the name um but it was also the the beginning uh, i would say of certainly the kind of vision of elite squash uh i kind of had a very strong view that the the camps would be um i do everything i could to really maximize the opportunities of all the juniors that came so um you know, I really went all out with bringing in expertise and other coaches, getting uh, Pilates instructors involved and physios and psychologists and so on. And I basically kind of really ramped up the, um, I suppose, the sort of high performance element to it to try to create the kind of experiences and environments that I'd gone through as a, as a junior and a senior as well. So I'd say that would have been um, I don't know the year, I should know the year, but I know it's at least 25 years that we've been running those camps. Um, so that's where the name got created. And then the, the era that you're sort of referring to there, where we met when I was sort of just about still playing, but starting to phase more into full-time coaching was when I was based in Bristol. Um, and uh, I was still running the camps, of course, but then starting to do, to do more coaching with um, some higher level players while still, still competing. Um, and then as my career phased out towards my late 20s, early 30s, I really made that choice to go, okay, right now I'm putting down my rackets from a playing point of view and I'm just going to focus on essentially creating this environment in Bristol that, that we now have. Um, so yeah, it could well be 20 years, which is frightening, but uh, 20 years since that, I suppose, sort of definitive choice to go, right, I want to, I want to create, yeah, let's say that a, a place where everybody can reach their full potential. You know, it's, I think it's might be on our website, like maximizing the potential of the individual. Um, and that sort of popped up a few times as I was talking about how I wanted to to create this environment. And then, and then it, the more I thought about it over the years, I thought, actually, no, that is really what, what I'm trying to do and what, what the team here are trying to do. So, yeah, that's where we are now. And um Still, just about going under these current circumstances, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a great journey so far. When you 
upon a point of reflection and we'll, we'll get back into kind of those early years, uh, primitive years for the company and, and for the philosophy. When you look back at yourself now, we won't throw in any ages, hmm. and you look at yourself back then when you began, did you envision, did you see or always have a plan in your head that you would somehow get to the point of where you are? Or what was the mindset back then? You were just thinking, okay, this is the type of coaching that I want to do. I want to hopefully, you know, attract some good players. Like, look at Bristol now is, it's probably like what Nottingham was when I was there when you have, well, you, you've got the best players in the world. Some of the best players. You've got two players inside the top eight. It's better than, it's top five maybe with the Shibagi brothers, but you've got Yao and a lot of other like young pros that are up and coming, including shout out Conroy. Um, but you had like you know Nottingham was like that when you had Whitey Marsh yourself, uh, Goffey Parky, and then you know the likes of myself and Rooster and uh, Joey Barrington and what have you. Sure. Did you have that vision in, in your head, like long term? It's mm, a great question. Um, I think I had a very clear vision that I wanted to create an environment that was a bit like Nottingham um, that you mentioned there, but also um, probably a bit like I had experienced a tiny bit in Cairo as well, like that kind of Egyptian and also probably how I imagined that to be because I've only been there uh, once to Egypt and played a PSA there and sort of got a taste of that environment, but obviously was very aware of what kind of goes on out there as I got to know Mohammed and these other players uh, in time. So I, I wanted to create this amalgamation, I suppose, of the, the best experiences I've had in the UK, some of the experiences that I've seen around the world, what I understood as happening in, in, in Egypt, where perhaps the, the sort of way that players develop was slightly different to the UK. And I want to understand more about that. So I, I didn't set out thinking, right, I'm going to create the environment and I'm going to, you know, one day have a world number one that I coached and top 10 players and everything that it is now. Um, but I certainly worked hard and still work very hard to try to make it the best place possible for those kind of players, as well as for juniors, as well as for beginners, adults, you know, public, you know, members of the public really. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, and I thought about this, you know, quite often when I'm asked this question, I think that's had a big impact on actually being able to get it to where it is at this point, like the clarity of how I wanted it to be, what that looked like, what my coaching team would be like, what kind of people I need involved. You were part of that, Arthur, for, for a period of time, you know, and actually probably our most successful period of juniors when we had yourself, Jethro Bins, you know, Mike Harris, I look back and think, why did we have three national champions and 15 regional champions? We had like four of us who've all played pro, bashing out individual lessons back to back with these kids plus running squads. So the kind of people that we've had and still do have um, has been absolutely vital. And, uh, and I think I've always also had a very strong sense of wanting to do things uh, my way in a maybe an only child thing maybe uh i've got a you know a father who's very much does things kind of off the wall a little bit and and likes to challenge convention a lot and uh and not conform um so i've kind of got that running through my veins as well and i think sort of the combination of those things and then you know luck 
you hear this a lot when you hear about things that have gone well, people that have done well, you know, I create some of it, but happened to be this, you know, Mohammed Shibagi at 17 looking to try to further his studies after coming to Millfield, which was also luck that he happened to speak to Joey and Joey said, Oh, there's this school in the UK, you should come. And somehow they made that transition when he was so young at 14. So then he's suddenly in this country and then he has the opportunity to go to university, you know, and, and I was on the radar and Bristol was on the radar thanks to Jono and the connection I have with him. But then I worked very hard to get him here to get, you know, convince the university that this, this young boy was going to be, already was very, very good, but was going to be a huge asset to the city and to the university. And then, uh, you know, that, that kind of creating that and, and pre preceding that we always had a, already had a kind of decent crop of players here, but that's, you know, you don't get many Mohammeds popping up in the UK this close mm -hmm. to Bristol that happened to have a uni that would also say yes to a full scholarship and completely support this guy. You know, these kind of ducks all had to be in a line. And then I had to basically make sure I did everything to kind of uh, initiate that and make it happen. And then, and then following that, make sure he's bloody happy <laughs> with what yeah. he's got here, you know, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, doing my job to the max. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, players followed. His brothers followed, and Lucas Serm and many others followed. Followed yeah. as a product of that. So, yeah, yeah. But to be fair, I mean, you say, look, look. I don't think it had much to do with it. Like you worked hard. You had a good relationship with Jonah. So Jonah trusts you to take Mohammed under his, under your wing, and yada yada. The rest is history. So I I don't know. There may have been the ducks were aligned. There may be an element of luck. But I think I'm a firm believer personally. Uh, you create your own luck. So. It's true. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. And I, th I think also going back to what you asked me earlier, like I was so clear about what I wanted to create. Yeah. When this thing popped up on my radar, this Mohammed Shabagi thing that I was, you know, a little bit aware of, I was like, woof, I'm straight on it. I'm all over it. And I want to know all about it. You know, so I didn't kind of go, I'd be good if he comes here yeah. and then sit back, you know, so I did maximize that opportunity, yeah. I suppose. Act. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, the same with Joel, like, I didn't really know Joelle, but I reached out to her and I said, you know, I think, I think I could really help with your game. And at that time she was kind of a rock bottom and the coincidence there, Marwan had spoken to her and said, I think you should maybe go see Hadrian. I think it'd be good. And you know, that's, that's worked out well. But again, I kind of, I reached out for that opportunity. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's a balance of course, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's part of what's helped uh you know grow things to where they are now i'm curious what some of the challenges in in building this environment were along the way like you know you um with your camps you said you you brought in all these other experts in these fields and um i assume i i, I know you said you know you we're working with the new trainer with muhammad like what are some of the challenges to finding all these pieces to round out you know, this perfect environment. Mm. Um, yeah, it's people partly. Yeah. I mean, in the days of the, of the camps, the challenges were, were financing it. I mean, I ran, I don't know, probably three, four years at a loss in order to bring in Peter Marshall, Simon Park, Joe Knipe, you know, few world top tens basically to, to come in on those camps and then uh, but then it got to a point where we had the momentum and, and actually people were 
were kind of coming from them, but they were kind of coming from me really by that point. And um, yeah, so that was a major challenge to sort of get it moving. I mean, challenges in backing myself that I could lead these things and stand up in front of 20, 30 kids and parents and be the leader and be the guy that, you know, essentially was saying, you know, this is where it's at and this is great. And I'd never done any of that stuff before. You know, I was like, I don't even think I had a coaching qualification. I'd never written written a camp before i'd never you know properly programmed a session so i had to kind of figure all this stuff out uh so they those things were challenging and then um then yeah there's so many logistical challenges finding clubs which would accommodate the kind of programs we wanted to do uh working with club owners managers um to get um arrangements that actually could be successful for us and financially viable for us, you know, doing, I say bartering deals, but certainly negotiating situations to ensure we had, um, you know, the right environments for these players. Uh, and then, and then, as I said earlier, finding the right people. Um, I think as time's gone on, I've found that easier because I could see it more clearly now. Um, I could sense quite quickly the right kind of people talking in the right kind of ways. Um, and um, that makes it a bit easier now, but that doesn't mean that uh, there are more people out there. There's so few, <laughs> so few great people. We've got three here, obviously, but you know, there's also plenty of people that wouldn't fit on this kind of podcast, don't have this kind of personality or whatever. They're good at other things. So um, time, persistence, patience, uh, belief um they all play a huge part yeah so one of the things that comes across quite strongly in your coaching i think just from speaking to you is, and from what i've heard from other people is the way you seem to understand the, the interplay or interaction between physiology psychology biomechanics the way the body operates and moves and it seems like you've got a really good understanding of all those things but that's not completely unusual what does seem to be unusual is the way you understand how they work together mm. um, I'm sort of curious where that came from because it's I like to think it's something that I think along those lines in terms of I had a sports science background academically so mm. I feel like most of my learning came through that but you seem like you've got it without that sure yeah I mean um yeah, I think this really links into the sort of philosophy, I suppose, and the method of how I teach and how that's evolved. Uh, I think it's a lot to do with having um, my father being this vision and influence from a young age of how the sport can be played. Um, and, you know, he was an incredible mover. He still moves pretty well for 77, but he's, um, he's an incredible mover and made the game look very easy was also you know very successful and very um just very very high standard of player so i kind of had this picture from a very young age of of movement um and mentality from him uh, and then i took on board you know a large part of that in kind of how i played and how i moved so i suppose it's kind of what i know is is this sense of movement on the court which is a lot of where my coaching comes from. And then as time's gone on, I've wanted to understand from like, say more mechanical point of view, 
uh, a neurological point of view, if I know what it feels like to move well and I know what it looks like, how do I translate that to a person who doesn't know what that feels like? Because as we all know, as coaches, you can sort of say, well, it's this, and this is, you know, this is what a lunge looks like, and this is how a swing goes. But that doesn't mean that that person can repeat it straight away. So in order to, um, to be able to communicate that, I had to learn, and I'm still learning, but understand actually what's happening um, from a, a kind of neuroscience point of view. Uh, how does the brain learn? You know, how do we feel things? How do we, um, how do we connect the mind and the body, basically? Uh, and, and that's led me towards different people who are, uh, who are you know, experts in that kind of industry. Um, one of them, Joanne Elphinstone, who Arthur knows very well, has been to see, uh, experience her work. Um, she's had a huge impact. She's um, a movement performance movement specialist, but that's just scratching the surface. She's a, a physio, and um, but but generally works in a high performance movement with multiple different athletes. And she opened a door to this idea of uh, if you can feel it, you can change it, and that helped me realize how to translate very complicated neurological processes that happen when somebody's very good at something help to translate that to somebody that doesn't know those things yet how do i give them those feelings those attitudes and sensations and so on so um yeah and then since then lots of reading i mean as Stuart said i didn't go to university or study any of these things but once you get into stuff as, as you guys i know are both the same you get into it you kind of go oh look there's this podcast here and there's this book written there and i heard about this and there's this random person over there doing that and the next minute you you're hoovering it all up combine that with daily experience of yeah. getting it right and getting it wrong isn't it on the court mm -hmm. and kind of going yeah. oh, that worked that clicks no that missed you know <laughs> and, and then you build up this kind of portfolio don't you in your in your mind as you're working and then obviously then you kind of throw in someone like Mohammed um who who pushes me and marwan and all these kind of top end players but they push me they stretch me further than I'm even used to going to find these tiny details, which is, you know, a huge part of, of how I've developed and then show me how that kind of mind works. You know, like it's a completely different conversation of, of how a mind of someone like Mohammed operates, how it learns, how it faces things, how it, you know, um, how it understands things at this kind of highest level of challenge. Um, so yeah, everything all adds together once you kind of, like you say, you've kind of created an environment which includes multiple things. But then as you said earlier, Arthur, then you've got like a beginner adult that can barely hit the ball, yeah. you know, which in some ways can be way more difficult. And they, not that they just can't hit the ball, they've got really low self-esteem and they think everything to do with that, you know, yeah. and they've got an issue with their backhand that goes back to childhood, you know, and it's just like <laughs> yeah. a whole different conversation. Oh. You know? And, and that I equally enjoy that, you know, as much as I enjoy throwing a ball for a three-year-old on a Sunday morning with, you know, our mini squash kids and seeing them catch a ball for the first time. So coaching is coaching, isn't it? Really? It's uh, yeah. anything that's impactful. Uh, and that's really why I'm so into it. Yeah, no, I, I, everything you were saying, like, I, I didn't know your, you know, how you got started in coaching and it's interesting because, uh, you know, r reminds me a little of my path where you do, 
coming, you know, you played, I didn't, I didn't play professionally. I went kind of straight into college coaching and, and got a master's right after I finished playing college squash. Um, but, you know, thought I kind of knew what I was doing. Definitely. When you, when you look back, you realize, you know, you really knew nothing, but mm-hmm. you, I think it does take a little bit of confidence to come across and, and at least, you know, show that you can do it at the start. And then you learn a lot along the way. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm still working with, with kids and just about every day I'm on court with kids under 10, uh, still in New York and, and it is fun, but the high performance stuff really does make me tick as well. Cause there's more layers than you can ever unfold. Right. And, and the better, um, you know, at Columbia, we have kind of former world junior champions, former British junior open champions. So we've got some really high level players here and it's, and it's just, it's like super fun to, to try and get them to, uh, you know, to the next level because they're already at a, at a super high level. Um, and I, I love all that stuff too, but I, just interesting to, to hear, I, you know, how you tap into all those other, um, specialists and stuff i definitely think i need to do more than that it's tough how do you find how do you find the time you know here that's that's the tough part right it really is yeah and i mean um, much more so now i've got three kids it's very different like the days when you know arthur was in bristol and we were doing stuff together then like we'd um we'd have a lot of time to chat over flat white (laughs) (laughs) the different intricacies of coaching and learning it's like yeah like a 10 minute snippet that would be now but yeah i mean audiobooks like yeah i'll listen to audiobooks while i'm washing up or you know walking to the shops or driving to the club or whatever walking to the club and i just keep dipping it in that's been a game changer for me actually because i'm just not i'm not great at sitting down and reading and focusing but generally if i do that at night i'll read like a paragraph when i'm asleep so um, yeah <laughs> it, you know it's, it's got to be like on the move daytime but I kind of work like that anyway I, I quite like having sort of a few plates in the air that's sort of how my brain works if I'm kind of picking up a bit of a podcast here and a you know a new article there and I'm listening to two three books you know at different times then um, it all starts to filter in so yeah I think that stuff is good um, finding mastery podcast is really good yeah you got me onto that yeah yeah that's yeah, brilliant yeah it's yeah. really good he's great the the guy um that uh, michael gervais but and, and this is just the thing i like about that is it's not just sport um you know there's some great athletes on there but um I, i've probably learned more from uh, industries outside of sport in relation to coaching personal development running a business uh, I, I've learned more from those kind of podcasts than I have from sporting environments, if that makes sense. Because when you kind of mm. hear about, I know the founder of Google or the CEO of some or other, and you hear about these people and their backgrounds and their journeys, it's like, whoa, okay, yeah. this is, yeah. you know, a whole different level. Not to say that I don't like listening to athletes, I do, but um, it's different, you know, because yeah. sport can sometimes be a little bit of a bubble. Um, and it has its own ways of doing things and its own belief systems. But sometimes you've got to kind of break out of that into other industries to sort of go, well, actually, you know, there's, there's yeah. a whole different way of creating a team culture if you do it in this way or that way. And mm-hmm. then, so that, that stuff, I think, is really key. Much broader perspective. It does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, the, scope, yeah. the scope that those guys look long term, uh, yeah. you yeah. know, it's just, it's just wild. 
I was just going to say actually that the, the, the longer I'm doing this, the more I realize actually that the investment mainly has got to be into, into the coach, like rather than into the player, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like from everything and from well-being to, uh, like you say, growth and development and so on. But, you know, I've only just recently started going to the gym, as you've seen Arthur on social media, like actually get, kind of getting just spending some time on my body and my kind of well-being and fitness and so on because I need that to give to the players as time goes on so I'm actually trying to figure out this balance between investing lots of time and energy away towards the players but then also thinking yeah, about how do I keep myself at the top of my game so that I can continue to service them yeah. uh you know mentally spiritually physically all of these kind of things and um, it's a never-ending you know cycle of um, but, but then it's fun, isn't it? I mean, that's meaning. That's, that's like, you know, it's, it's definitely not dull. And Arthur and I stuff back all the time about these things, which is, is great. And that's all part of it too. Yeah. I think, I think it, well, me personally, I know I don't do a huge amount of, well, I do a little bit, I go through phases. But if I don't do anything for myself, and when I say for myself, it's just like anything from a 10-minute to a 40-minute workout, I don't, it's, I think it's, yeah, from a spiritual perspective, but mentally as well. And just releasing the endorphins, it kind of, that for me gets my juices flowing. Mm-hmm. And I find it much harder to connect and to communicate when I haven't done something. And it doesn't have to be a huge amount. Like it can even just be like cycling from home to the club mm-hmm. to start coaching. And I'm like, where? And the, and yeah. the <laughs> caffeine is hit in and I'm like, I'm ready to go, bro. <laughs> like, how, how's your day? How are you doing? How are you feeling? And then just kind of straight drives, bro. Straight, straight drives. drives. Straight bro. drives. <laughs> Give me one more rep. Give me one more. But it's also just a part of like, part of that, like for me, like the minute I see the individual, it's like I can read and, and, and how they're feeling by the tone of their voice, their body language, their posture. And so then I sort of know, for, for, and, and I can only pick up on these signs when I've released a few endorphins myself. That I know then how I can, how much I can push someone physically, how much I can push someone more, more mentally is probably even harder. Um, mm. But I, I find it very challenging to do that if I haven't had that little headspace. And I, it doesn't have to be, it takes me 10 minutes to cycle here. That's plenty. That's kind of why mm. I started doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get that in. It's getting your engine going, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. It's, um, and I think, you know, there's an element of setting an example as well, like especially say if you're working with any players, but particularly young yeah. players, you know, coach comes flying in on his bike and then gets in three quarters and chops all the kids up. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> that's more cool sprints. Like they need that. Like, you know, yeah. you've got to walk the walk. And it's yeah. yeah, difficult these days, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, just before we wrap up, Adrian, again, thanks a million. I don't think I've ever said this to you, but, you know, and you've mentioned that we did a bit together over the years. You know, when you touched on Nottingham being an environment as well, where that kind of influence in Cairo. And I, and I know from what I'm creating here in Providence is, you know, I'm definitely heavily influenced by all the experiences of the 15 years I was on the tour. And I definitely had a huge, you were a huge influence to me as a coach and in an individual. I've never said that. So oh, thank just, you. just felt, uh, you know, appreciate that. It was a short period of time, but it definitely um, mm. opened my mind to a whole, new way and meeting people mm. like Joanne and yourself and other people as well that helped get a better understanding and a broader perspective mm. and how to piece things together a little bit more. And then I think like you said, the more you do things, the better you become at it and you start to, you know, but anyways, mm. yeah, cheers for that. Yeah. Well, no, obviously, uh, yeah, you were a huge part piece of the puzzle here. 
as a player, but also like from a coaching perspective as well, like absolute natural. Yeah, um, I'm sure you're doing a fantastic job there. <laughs> Chris, I can't give you all these compliments, I'm afraid, because I don't know you quite so well. But uh, I was about to say, I, I just, I just want to, once, once this pandemic's over, I just want the chance to come over and uh, yeah. come over and do a camp with you or something. I want some of this to rub off. We, we, yeah, we get, let's get the ATC podcast camp up here. We got twelve courts. Hadrian will fly over. We'll, we'll do a home and away. 100%. We'll do yeah. Oh 100%. man, yeah. Home no, we're away. talking, bro. Love it. Play in with the British <laughs> Open. Yeah. yeah. Stuart's out of it now. He's gone. Yeah, he, yeah, he <laughs> he's been replaced. Did he actually did get dropped. <laughs> he'll yeah. hear this tomorrow. Yeah. He'll hear this later tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, that's it. Another episode of Around the Course Squash podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Really appreciate all the good feedback you've been giving us. And again, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share it with your with your friends. You can check us out on social. Chris and Stuart. I know we've said it in privately in conversation. We're having a blast. Uh, Hayden, thanks, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, and, you all, uh, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, legends. All right. Cheers. See you.